Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Hey, just grateful and honored that our family used to be here with y'all this morning. Um, I was talking to Matt this week, catching up a little bit, and uh, we first connected before the pandemic, I think it was 2019. And uh, I feel like 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm sure you guys uh, can test too. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, just just as a matter of fact that, that Jess and I get to look up here and see that you guys are our co-laborers in the gospel uh, here in Oregon, the state of Oregon, is a means of encouragement to us. So just the fact that you guys are continuing to press forward uh, for the sake of the kingdom of God is uh, is an encouragement to us. So we're grateful to be here. Grateful to uh, to gather with you this morning. Uh, if you have your, your copy of scripture, we're going to be in the, the book of Acts this morning. So, uh, Acts chapter 2, flip to chapter 1. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> and as you're getting there, just want to tell you a little about something I learned recently. In 2011, an Australian hospice nurse named Bronnie Ware, uh, she wrote and published a, a book simply titled Regrets of the Dying. Uh, so after spending years and years and years with patients on their deathbeds, she began to realize that she was hearing all of her patients begin to articulate the, the same kind of few regrets uh, that they experienced as they reflected on their lives, um, no matter the backgrounds, no matter where they came from, no matter where they lived. And so she summarizes her years of experience in the book and lists out the top five regrets that she heard time and time again, that she spent time with patients who were dying. And maybe this will surprise you, maybe, maybe it won't surprise you, but uh, four of the top five that she lists out in her book had to do with relationships. Relationships. Uh, so there were regrets like these. Um, man, I wish I hadn't worked so much and missed out on family. I missed out on family relationships. I wish I'd spent more time with the people I loved in my life. Uh, I wish I was more honest with this person and had the courage to tell them how I felt about this. Uh, or I wish I hadn't just let that relationship slip away. These people were looking back on their lives, and some of the most significant regrets that they carried had to do with relationships. Relationships matter. They matter, don't they? Uh, it, it doesn't take long for us, maybe for you specifically, as you look around the Portland area, that we live in a cultural moment that's marked by radical individualism, don't we? Um, but, but the regrets of the dying, and, and probably our own personal experiences, if we're honest, uh, tell us what the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us. And what the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us is that we were made to experience intimate human relationships. We are made to experience intimate human re relationships, and that's woven into the fabric of who God made us to be as his image bearers. So if you go back to the beginning of the Bible in the first few pages, you see this picture before sin entered the picture. You see this picture of paradise where man is walking with God, and the constant refrain from God is, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's beautiful, it's paradise. And yet, before sin enters the world, God surprises us with a sudden, that's not good. And the that's not good is that man's alone. Right? Relationships matter. We were designed for relationships. Uh, we need community as a woman. Um, and we know this isn't true just at a basic needs level. This is true on a spiritual level. And that's, that's where I'd like for us to go uh, this morning. Um, if you take any serious reading of the New Testament, any serious examining of the life of Jesus, any serious studying of church history shows that it is impossible. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go so far as to use that word. It is impossible to faithfully follow Jesus and at the same time disregard relationships 
with other followers of Jesus. It's impossible. Um, it, it, so in our church in, in Monmouth, uh, about an hour south, we put an emphasis on this and we call it community. Uh, I was looking at your values as a church out on, out on your signs. One of your values as a church, what makes uh, you, you, Sojourn Church, is your value of family. Your value of family. So that's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like for us to look at Acts chapter 2, to look at a little passage of scripture here, and, and consider the why behind family, the why behind community. I think we could spend all day talking about the what and the how. You guys have vehicles and strategies for how to live as a family. Um, but I want for us to consider the why behind it and what God has to maybe to say to us in that this morning. So Acts chapter 2, we'll get here in a moment. Uh, just, of course, want to get some brief context as we open the Bible together. Uh, if you get to Acts chapter 2 and you turn your Bibles just a few pages to the left, what, what you'll see is this, uh, that the most influential person in human history, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, who died on a Roman cross, just got out of his grave, right? If you flip a few pages to the left, uh, he resurrected from the dead and walked out of his gravesite. Uh, Jesus then appears to his disciples in over 500 eyewitnesses, as the Apostle Paul records. And in his final moments with his disciples, with his followers, Jesus gives them clarity about what his mission had been up to this point. And, and here's how Peter, one of those 500 eyewitnesses, summarizes Jesus' mission in coming to us. Peter writes this, uh, years later, in his first letter to the church, Peter says this, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Peter's there is one of the, the 500 eyewitnesses. He realizes Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus, the perfect and righteous one, died for the unrighteous. And that's what he came for question is why and, and Peter tells us uh, right that he might bring us to God that he might bring us to God so we know this the prize of the gospel the gospel being the good news of all that Christ has done in his perfect life death and resurrection is that we get God that's the prize of the gospel we, we cut ourselves off from God because of our sin but in a sense Jesus came and experienced being cut off from God on the cross so that you and I could experience being intimately reconnected to God now and for all eternity. So we know that Christianity is nothing less than an intimate and personal relationship with the God of the universe through faith in what Christ has done in our place. So, so this morning, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you belong to God as a child of, of Him. Um, but there's another aspect to this, right? If you, if you look at the text, what Peter says, Peter says us. He died to bring us to God. There's, there's a collective aspect to that. So, so here's where I'm going with this. Uh, if you're a Christian this morning, you belong to God as his child through faith in the blood of Jesus and what he's done in your place. Uh, if you're a Christian this morning, you also belong to God's family through the blood of Jesus. You belong to the church through the blood of Jesus. So we know that the gospel is the good news, that we have reconciliation vertically with God. And then we also have reconcil reconciliation horizontally with other Christians. So the, the gospel is a means to, a means to both. It's, it's a means to both vertical and horizontal reconciliation. Um, so, so the fact of the matter is that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, part of who you are, part of your identity, is not only that you're his child, but that you've been adopted, and that you now have brothers and sisters. You're, you're a part of a new family. That's part of who you are. Um, so I was thinking about this this week and uh, just thought of this kind of goofy illustration. Uh, let, let's suppose in a couple years, one of my sons comes to me and says, Hey, Dad, 
that I, I love getting to be your son, that I love getting to call you dad. Uh, but I've come to this point in my life where I would no longer like to be um, brothers with my brothers. <laughs> right? And I, I'd probably be like, okay, tell me about that. What's, what's going on? But uh, my, my answer at the end of the day would, would probably be something like, hey, sorry, bro. You don't get to decide that because that's who you are. Like you share the last name, you share the same last name with them. You can't change who you are. That, that'd be crazy if my son came up to me and asked me that question and told me that. And, and yet I'm not so sure, often as, as we get into conversations, I'm not so sure we see the church the same way. I'm not so sure we see fellow believers the same way. Uh, it, whereas if we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ, then, then we have adopted brothers and sisters through faith in Christ. We belong to a new family. Um, so in Acts chapter 2, that was a long way of getting here, we have this historical account of how these first brothers and sisters in Christ related to one another. And it gives us some insight as to what connecting to, to community and being a family inside the church could actually look like. So Acts chapter 2, we're just going to read verses 42 through 47. Pull out some implications here. <clears throat> Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, I don't know if you've come to this passage before, but I, I just brought with me kind of like a bullet point list of everything we see here in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Uh, we see this. Maybe you can underline it in your Bibles. We see uh, there's devotion to the Word, the Apostles' teaching. There's some devotion to the Word and getting around the Word. Uh, there's meals together. Right? They're, sharing, they're sharing food together, enjoying meals at a table together. There's prayer together. Uh, they're, they're sharing, distributing of possessions with one another. Uh, there's worshiping together. And, and then even uh, kind of on top of all this, we see this, this word dailiness. They're connecting with each other daily. So we see that church is not something that just happens uh, one time a week, but that the church is a people, and they meet together as a people, as a family. Um, so at first glance, you might look at this list, you might look at Acts chapter 2, 42, 47, and you go, that sounds awesome, I'd love to be a part of something like that. Uh, but, but let's be honest this morning, let's be honest. Uh, real talk, um, think about how much it would cost you if you were to commit to living to that vision of family and community. There's, there's some cost involved here if you were to give yourself to a vision of community like this. Right, you, think, you think about the cost, uh, there would be cost financially because financially, they, they lived as if nobody's name was on anything. So what's mine is not mine. It's actually ours. It's, it's yours. Um, there will be costs with your time. Like to have dailiness, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a cost to your time? Uh, I have friends in Portland and Seattle. They tell me the horror stories about traffic. Right? So, so just to share life with one another, that costs some time maybe, experiencing some traffic. There will be costs to your comfort. The idea of living an integrated life with others means that you'll have to sacrifice comfort. There will be costs to your preferences. There will be costs to your convenience. The cost of living in community is high. But, but friends, what I submit to you this morning is that the cost of not living in community is even higher. The cost of not living in community is even higher. 
And so that, that's where I'm going to go. I just pull out three kind of implications uh, from Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And, and I frame these kind of in that negative sense. I don't usually like to do that. So if you have an issue with the negative, the way I frame this, you could just write it out in a positive sense. But uh, the cost of not commun- living in community is, is higher. Um, and, and there's some serious things at stake when it comes to us uh, giving ourselves to community as followers of Jesus. So um, we'll see these here. So the first one is this. <clears throat> neglect community and you'll neglect available joy. Number one. Neglect community, and you'll neglect available joy. So I don't, I don't have it on the screen here, but you read in this passage, you see that awe came upon every soul. Every soul, awe came upon every soul as they were in the midst of the church. Uh, glad and generous hearts. That's what their hearts look like, glad and generous. Um, and, and we see really that in John chapter 10, Jesus gives us clarity about the type of life that's available through him in his kingdom. He says, the thief, the enemy, comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I've come that she might have life and life abundantly. See, Jesus came to offer the abundant and the full life. Uh, not, not an easy life, not a comfortable life, not maybe a life of financial prosperity, but a life where deep and abiding joy could be possible. That's his invitation. And, and I submit to you, part of that joy that's available, we choose to receive it and embrace it, it is the gift of community that Jesus means for us to receive and, and I think that a way that specifically the western individualistic church sometimes is missing out on the joy that's available to us is by keeping other followers of Jesus at an arm's length distance away just just far enough away that we miss out on true intimacy it's a bummer it's a bummer um, so, so real talk just think about this real talk uh, in the New Testament alone just broad survey of the New Testament, there are 59 direct relational commands that bear on the lives of all disciples of Jesus. It's 59, one less than 60. And, and they always use the phrase one another. Maybe you've, you've seen these pop up in scripture. So I, I just brought some. Some one another's in the New Testament. Uh, be at peace with one another. Love one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Uh, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Bear one another's burdens. Confess your sins to one another. Uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. There's 59 of these in the New Testament. Maybe that last one, you, you shift that a little bit with a side hug or something. But, <laughs> 59 direct relational commands given to disciples of Jesus in the New Testament. What we have to see there is that what God intends for us is doing life His way should lead to our joy and flourishing. And so if you choose to neglect community, you can't step into His design for flourishing because you can't obey the commands He's put on us for our joy and flourishing. You can't obey the, the one another's. So for the sake of your joy in Jesus, friends, you, you've got to commit to deep and intimate friendships with other followers of Jesus. You can't obey them without them. And you'll miss out on the joy of kingdom life if you don't. Um, I brought kind of a story from uh, either our personal lives or from our church kind of to illustrate each and each, each one of these points. And um, for this first one, uh, my, my wife Jess and I, we, we met uh, a couple uh, back in 2018, 2019, after our church was planted, and uh, I guess they weren't a couple at that point. They were just two singles. Uh, but they come into our church. They start following Jesus. They meet each other. They get married. It's beautiful. So they're married. Uh, they're living in community. They're serving. They're faithful. They're experiencing joy. Uh, but then uh, around uh, 2019, 2020, they, they begin processing this idea of moving, moving away. 
And so they come to the conclusion, like, living here in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon is hard because there's lots of clouds and there's lots of rain, and sometimes you can be really blue. And I'm like, I get it. I get it, man. Uh, but, but they come to a decision to, to actually move away and move to a place with, uh, with more sun. And, and they figure, hey, if we get to a place with more sun, it's going to be better for our lives. But, but the conclusion that they come to is, is that they realize uh, the sun doesn't make them more happy. The sun doesn't fill them with joy. Um, they, they actually have regret for moving, and they actually moved back to Oregon because they realized sun in isolation is nowhere near as good as rainy and gray with great community. That's, that's, the, that's the thing that they realized. So neglect community, and you'll neglect available joy. Uh, number two, uh, neglect community, and you'll neglect potential witness. Neglect community, and you'll neglect potential witness. Again, not on the screen, but at the end of that passage there in verse 47, it says, The church is praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day, new people coming into the community of the church, coming, coming into this place where they trust and follow Jesus. New Christians, new disciples of Jesus are rising up and being made. Uh, what's happening? I, I submit to you what's happening is, is the church is living out community. They're living out community. And, and this is, is the place where there's a potential witness in this. So when I say witness, um, what I mean is maybe you could think about it like the American court system. In the American court system, when someone's on trial, the judge might bring up a witness to testify to the case in order to give evidence to move forward with the verdict. Uh, so if, if someone is sh- was sharing the gospel with a non-believer, we might say evangelism, uh, they might say, I witness to them. I, I, I testify to the truth and the beauty of who Jesus is. It's evangelism. So, so what this passage is saying, um, what Acts chapter 2 is saying, is that the countercultural type of community that was created in the church that Jesus established was in itself a witness to the watching world. It was in itself a witness. So just to just to put this out here for us, right? Uh, often, I think we know this, the, the first exposure to Jesus that a watching and dying world gets, it increasingly is not a sermon. It increasingly is not a church gathering. It increasingly is not uh, a church sign on the street. It increasingly is, though, Jesus' church interacting with one another in an otherworldly type of way. And people from the outside look in and they go, oh, that's interesting. I don't see much of that in the rest of the world. Jesus himself talks about this in John 13, John 17. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's John 13, 35. In John 17, Jesus uh, is praying to his Father in heaven, and and he prays this. uh, Father, would my people may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. They also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you've sent me. Jesus is saying, he's praying in that moment, saying, the world is going to see that I'm exactly who I am when my church loves each other the same way that I love them. That's powerful. That's powerful. And so just just to put it bluntly for us this morning, uh, this is all to say that an individualistic church is a powerless church in the world. Uh, Lone wolf Christianity you're just kind of a lone wolf out there, trying to do your best, doing it by yourself. It's not only foreign to the New Testament, it has no power, no potency, and no witness in the world. Um, 
maybe kind of an example uh, again about this. Uh, again, I was talking to Matt earlier this week, connecting, and uh, he said that you guys celebrated baptism last Sunday. Praise, praise God for that. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like, diff- I know different churches do it different ways, but in our church, whenever someone gets baptized, we have them uh, actually kind of get up in front of the entire congregation and share their story about how Jesus pursued them and how He rescued them and how they, how they came to know Him. And in 99, I kid you not, 99.9% of the time, the story goes something like this. They say, well, I was, I was hanging out one day and I met so-and-so and they invited me into their lives and into their friendships. Uh, came to find out that this person was a follower of Jesus, their friends were followers of Jesus, and at that point, I wasn't so sure about Jesus, not so sure about this Jesus guy, but, uh, but they, they had something going on with each other. There was a love that existed in their relationships that, that I wanted a part of. They wanted a part of it. And 99.9% of the time, that, that's how God begins wooing them, pursuing them, and bringing them to himself. Uh, we can show other people, non-believers, this alien type of love that exists among us because Jesus himself is among us. That's what we believe. That's what we know. Um, uh, the, the caveat to this, I think, is, uh, as we sung about earlier, and as, as Matt alluded to earlier, um, th- this assumes, to, to press on this a little bit, this assumes that our love for one another is visible to people who don't yet know Jesus. And that, that's important. Um, that, that's why this is crucial to keep on the forefront whenever we talk about community and fellowship and family. Uh, because churches who have made um, fellowship the end goal, rather than God's glory and the redemption of all creation the end goal, they usually kind of fail at all three of those things. So, so it's important to know that God's glory and the redemption of all creation is the end goal, but, but Jesus intends for that to take place through the vehicle of his church who are loving one another radically. So this is assuming that our love for one another is visible and tangible to those who don't yet know it's a It's a potential witness. Um, uh, again, a little bit of a story. Uh, <clears throat> asked for permission to share this story, but uh, a few years ago, there was a young man in our church, and he was living with some guys in our church. And at one point, his roommates discovered that he started developing some interesting habits in his life. He had a hard time holding a job down. He had a hard time kind of being consistent in relationships. And they ultimately discovered that he began to grow a dependence and an addiction to to alcohol. And uh, because they loved Jesus, because they knew in the gospel Jesus didn't neglect their brokenness, uh, they graciously and gently sought to confront him and his brokenness uh, to bring about healing. Um, So they they call up a meeting, like a house meeting with this this brother, and they get him together and they they lovingly tell him, hey bro, we, we found out what you're hiding. We, we know about the alcohol. Uh, we love you. We don't view you any differently. But because we love you, we can't just ignore this. And, and so the dude was, was busted. He was broken. He'd tell you that was his lowest point in his life. Um, but, but the following week, uh, a few of us in our church got to take him to a, re- a rehabilitation center. That he decided to go to on his own accord. And we sit down with, with the counselor that kind of does the intake interview. And he, he just asked my friend the question, hey, how'd you get here? How'd you get here this morning? And he tells them the story that I just told you. His friends from his church community found out that what he was hiding, they loved him, they one anothered him. And this counselor, probably in his 50s, uh, not a believer, looks across the table, hears him telling the story, and his jaw just hits the floor. And, and I remember it so vividly, he just asked the question, what kind of friends do you have that, that they would do this for you? He, he was mind blown. It was the power of the gospel of Jesus displayed in community on display for him to see. On display for him to see. So the question is, do our relationships with one another display that kind of potency, that kind of power? Um, 
Does the gospel message, the doctrine that we preach and speak, is it matched with the gospel culture that's on display in our relationships with each other? So neglect community, and you'll neglect potential witness. Uh, number three, last point here this morning. Number three, neglect community, and you'll neglect personal transformation. Neglect community, and you'll neglect personal transformation. <clears throat> So a little bit about my story. I, I've been uh, following Jesus for just about a decade now, just about 10 years. And uh, since then, I've, I've seen incredible stories of life change, like crazy. By the grace of God, I've watched people go from hardened atheists to people who gave up their lives to play in churches. Um, and, and today, more, more than ever, I, I truly believe that Jesus is reigning and ruling and he's making all things new. He's seeking and saving the lost. He's doing what he's good at because his power and his reality still reigns. Um, and, and in this uh, maybe more than ever, I'm also just as, uh, just as convinced that he intends to bring about transformation, redemption, and restoration in our lives using the vehicle of community. Using the vehicle of community. Um, so, so for me in my life, like if I look back and, and identify the moments where God brought about healing, a breakthrough, a repentance, conviction, a transformation in my life as a follower of Jesus, um, it, Primarily, like, it's, it's been a result of God using his people, using the people that he's put around me in my life to do that, to bring that about. So the fact of the matter is God changes us in the context of community. God transforms us and molds us into the image of Jesus by using his people, by using community. So neglect community, and, and you're, you're going to ne neglect transformation in your life. Um, one of the most profound passages that I think speaks to this and displays this is, um, is in the book of Hebrews in chapter 3. It's on the screen. The author says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, the author of Hebrews, God is saying to the author of Hebrews, um, it is possible to be so deceived, to, to so give into the lies of sin that our hearts can become hardened. It's, it's possible to be de-transformed. Uh, but praise God, he gives us an antidote to this. And, and the antidote is each other. He gives us one another to exhort each other. Um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the, the famous uh, German um, theologian pastor, sheds light into this verse on his, this helpful excerpt in his book, Life Together. It's all about community. Bonhoeffer says this, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word and the witness of a brother in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Uh, Bonhoeffer is eloquently saying, there are going to be moments in your life as a disciple of Jesus where the promises of sin become overwhelmingly appetizing. You, you and I, all of us, we're going to have moments of weakness where sin looks more enticing and attractive than obedience to Jesus. And in those moments, you and I need each other. 
You need community to preach the riches of Christ to our hearts, uh, to remind us that the promises of Jesus are more sweet than any of the fleeting and deceptive promises of sin or the enemy. And, and flip it around, there are going to be moments where your community needs that from you. There are going to be moments where we'll need to lovingly look a brother or sister in the eye and remind them, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's more precious. Only he can satisfy. Friends, God has given us an incredible gift in community. So my question is, do you want to be transformed? Well, then immerse yourself deeply, honestly, vulnerably in community. Um, in this, uh, if you choose to neglect community as you follow Jesus, uh, not only will you neglect being transformed, uh, you're, you're going to put yourself in a dangerous position. Uh, from just the, the last kind of uh, seven, eight years of, of being in ministry, uh, I've, I've seen stories and, and moments again of transformation, new life, baptisms, weddings, uh, repentance, joy, conviction, church planting, the list goes on. And what absolutely wrecks me is, is that I've also witnessed moments of backsliding. I've also witnessed moments of people deciding that they don't actually want Jesus. Witness moments where friends walk away from the faith altogether, uh, deconstruction, leaving the church, gratification, and rebellion, people making foolish decisions. And I bring these up to say, uh, not to just make a cheap example out of what's happened, um, I bring these up to say like nearly every painful story I've watched go down all starts the same way. It all starts the same way. The person begins to distance themselves from fellow believers, distance themselves from the local church. So friends, God's given us the gift of his church as a means of grace to keep us, to protect us, to mature us, to transform us. So don't pull back. Don't pull back. Um, so in conclusion, as we, as we wrap up this morning a little bit, uh, three things at least we could say a whole lot more um, are at stake for us when it comes to receiving and accepting the gift of community that Jesus has given us. Our joy, our witness in the world, and our own transformation. Um, so as, as we close, I just want, maybe want to speak to uh, what, what I'm thinking about as I speak to you and maybe speak to what you might be thinking in your chair this morning. Uh, you, you might be thinking something like this. Hey, Ben, this is all great, man. But what about what happens when a community fails me? What happens when somebody lets me down? What, what happens when I, I give myself to my brothers and sisters in Christ and, and then they don't give themselves back to me? Uh, and I think those are really good questions because it's going to happen. And, and by the way, you're going to let people down too. <laughs> right? So two things I'd say to you. Um, number one, community is a gracious, like a, a great gift from God. Community is a great gift from God, but community itself makes for a crappy God. <laughs> community itself makes for a terrible God. When we expect to get from community what we're meant to get from Jesus himself, We'll put a weight on others that they can't bear, and we'll actually kill community in the process of expecting a perfect one. So community is a gift from God. Let's leave it in the place that it's supposed to be and let, it, let, let the gift point us to the gift giver. Um, but number two, what, what happens when I give of myself and they don't give of themselves back to me? Well, number two, this should remind us of the gospel. <laughs> this should remind us of the gospel. Um, the, the gospel is, according to Paul in Romans chapter 5, the good news that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice Paul doesn't say, hey, after we cleaned ourselves up, after we stopped sinning, then Christ died for us. No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
One, pe- one preacher puts it this way. It says, Jesus Christ looked down from the cross and saw all the people denying him and betraying him and forsaking him and mocking him and rejecting him. And in the greatest act of love in the history of the world, he stayed. He stayed on the cross. He stayed. Jesus, Jesus did not, on the cross, look down and see how ugly and distorted we were by sin and climb down. That's too much. No, it, it was our condition, rather, our sin and brokenness that all the more compelled him to stay up there. So, friends, when we live in community with each other, when we believe this good news and live in light of this good news, what Christ has done on our behalf, it changes the way that we relate to one another. When others let us down, we should be reminded of the cross. We should be reminded that Jesus climbed up there, not because we performed for him and earned it, but because of his great love, because of his grace love. That his grace changes everything. So uh, this morning, Sojourn Church, may we be a people who respond to his grace and receive the gifts of community in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, God, for this morning. Lord, thank you for these brothers and sisters and what you're doing in them and through them here in Portland, God. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord. And God, how you've on purpose, you've given us like a front row seat to the birth of your church. How you started flipping the world upside down through your church, Jesus. God, may you help us see the gift that community is. God, would you help us see what you've invited us into? And would you please dispel our fears and worries? God, would you you help us to see clearly it is that you might be asking us to do next in in, in obedience to you, Jesus? And um, would all this be that we might increasingly look to you as you give up your life for us, that we might be transformed by you, and we might love you more. So God, we love you. We're thankful for this morning, God. pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.